And God, we confess, boy, we want that song to be true. We long for you to help us learn how to wait patiently. For you formed the heavens and the earth. We have only the glimpse the world around us and the beauty of the stars and the intricacies of the flowers. And we are invited to trust that you know what you're doing. And yet, God, our fear and our humanity, our greed, and our jealousy often move us to trust our own timing and our own hands instead of waiting for you. So God, I pray this morning that you would forgive us for the ways that we so quickly take our life into our own hands. And would you help us to trust you again and encounter you afresh anew today? God, as we continue in worship, would your word come alive? Would you speak, Holy Spirit, individually each? And may we have soft hearts and sharp ears to hear. And would you speak again afresh and anew? And we ask all of this in your name. Amen. So good morning. morning. Oh, let's try that again. Good morning. My name is Suzanne Vogel, and I'm the lead pastor here at The Bridge. We are starting our new series in Acts. In fact, if you didn't pick up a bookmark as you came into the room, uh, please feel free to grab one. If you're watching online, you can go onto our website and see the passages that we're going to be reading each week. But we're going to launch today in Acts 1 and 2, and I want to invite Walt Stradley to come up and read our uh, scripture for us. Would you follow along either in your Bible or on the screens? Acts chapter 1, Jesus taken up into heaven. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote almost all that Jesus can't see <laughs> began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them the command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Our second scripture reading is from Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit 
and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there was staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galatians? Then how in each of us hears them in their native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phygeria, Pamphia, Egypt, and parts of Libya and Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Ju Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed that they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Walt. Well done on all of those places. So I grew up wanting to be a teacher. My uh, dad was a teacher and I adored him. And so I would line up stuffed animals in my room and teach lessons. I loved to go to my dad's classroom and help set up for the new year. I went to Drake University uh, as an education major, fully intending to teach juniors in high school how to love Shakespeare. It was a noble dream. Uh, I had a plan. It was a good plan. And very honestly, I thought it was God's plan. The only problem? Well, it didn't line up with God's plan. Now, today we begin the book of Acts, and right out of the gate, the disciples have a plan. Jesus tells them that the time has come. They're supposed to go to Jerusalem, where they're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And their very first question out of their mouths is, Lord, is this the moment when you're going to bring the kingdom? Their first picture of what is going to happen with power is that they will get political advantage. The time will have come for, the, for them to flex their muscle and get back in charge. And Jesus has spent a lot of time convincing them that he's actually risen and that he's talked about the kingdom. So I understand the confusion. Power is on the way and they have a plan. The only problem? didn't line up with God's plan. In fact, Jesus looked at those gathered, and he said to them, oh, 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 no. I have a whole new purpose for you. I, I know you have plans to take over Rome and have political power, but that's not my plan. So don't go back to your old way of life. He says, don't get ahead of me. Instead, go to Jerusalem, wait wait together and i'm going to pour out my spirit and then i want you to go don't make your own plans don't do it in your own power you have one job people wait wait for the spirit 
surrender your plans, your dreams, your pictures of what's going to happen next, because what God's going to do next, they could have never imagined. What God's going to do next, there was no way you can come up for that on a strategic plan. There is no way they could have understood what was coming next. God was going to take a marginal small group of relatively uneducated men and women and make them into an international multi-ethnic movement that would cross national, political, socioeconomic, and even time borders. No, their picture was way too small. Way too small. Now let me just ask for a minute, how often do you and I long for God to hear our plans? To fulfill our expectations and wishes? My guess is that there are many a plan that you have had that God shook up, redirected, and maybe you can't see it yet, but I suspect that your picture, your dream, well, it was smaller than what God had in mind. And so instead, God looks at me, looks at you this morning as we jump into the book of Acts and says, my timing, my purposes, my power. He says to me for sure, and maybe to you, slow your roll. Because if you get too far ahead of me, you're going to miss what I really want to do. See, part of why I wanted to be a teacher was because I had no picture that I could be a pastor. None. Women didn't do that where I grew up. And so my picture, while noble and good, too small. God had pictures I couldn't even envision yet. And if we will wait and surrender, well, God might shock us with what happens next. It clearly shocked the people in the room in Acts 2. Could we agree upon that? I think we lose the strangeness, the weirdness of that moment because we've gotten a little bit familiar of it with it, at least those of us who've spent a lot of time in the church. See, chapter 2 opens with Pentecost. And if you were here last week or you listened online, well, you know that I talked about feasts that God had mandated at various times that the people of God would gather together to celebrate. And Pentecost is one of those feasts. And so hundreds of thousands of Jews would have traveled to Jerusalem from all over the world. In fact, they think that the city of Jerusalem would have at least tripled, maybe quadrupled in size. They would have come from what was all over the known world. And as this group of disciples, we don't know exactly how many there are. It could be 120. It could be who knows. But that group of disciples are gathered together, and all of a sudden, Acts says there's this sudden violent sound. There's rushing wind and tongues of fire appear and appear to be pursuing individuals. Okay, can we just, that's weird. In fact, if fire came down today and started, you know, pursuing 
over here, I would be like tackling them. And then he'd be like, no, there's one on you too. I mean, it would be so strange. It looks chaotic. And then they start speaking in different languages. I mean, this is craziness. But I want to take just a minute and pull back because I think if we look at the bigger story of the Bible, it makes a little more sense. And I think because it just looks weird, we have a hard time knowing what God is doing in this moment. So would you let me put my teacher hat back on for just a second? I got to use it occasionally. So in the Hebrew Bible, what would, we would call today the Old Testament, mysterious windstorms and fire are consistently associated with two things, all right? The first is that God's presence is present, and then that there's a formation being take, or formation happening of a place where heaven and earth meet. Let me give you some examples. The first time we see this is in Exodus 3. God appears to Moses in a bush, and what is happening to that bush? Come on, those of you who spent your world in Sunday school, what's happening to the bush? It's burning, but it's not burning up, right? There's fire, and there's the sound of a rushing wind. And then God says to Moses, you are standing on holy ground, a place where heaven and earth are meeting together. And then God says to Moses, I'm sending you to Egypt. And he promises to help Moses as he frees the people from slavery. Now the next time we see is when God delivers those people. They come into the desert and they travel to Mount Sinai. Where an even bigger fire blazes on a mountain and a windstorm comes. And it's terrifying. And like before, that fire signals God's presence to these people who have never seen or encountered God in this way. Heaven and earth are coming together again. And God says, I'm sending you forward. Follow me. I will be with you. I will lead you. I will guide you. And God assures them that he's partnering with them for their good. Now, later, God instructs those same people to build a tabernacle. That's a weird word. Say it with me. Tabernacle. One, two, three. Tabernacle. See, I have my teacher hat on. You're just going to have to live with me for a minute, all right? A tabernacle was a portable temple. It was a tent so that God could tell the people, I am with you no matter where you go. And once they got it built, well then, God filled it in this really dramatic way with, what do you think? Fire and wind. And so it told the people in a very visible way, I am with you, and heaven and earth are meeting. And once again, God says, I'm going with you. I will lead you with a column of wind by day and what? Fire by night. And then hundreds of years later, when God asks Israel to build a permanent temple in Jerusalem, that same fire shows up as God's dwelling glory. See, over and over and over again in the New Testament, fire and wind are a tangible sense and a sign of God's presence. 
and the creation of a holy place, a place where God dwells, where heaven and earth are meeting. And it signals oftentimes a new beginning. So now we fast forward, right, to Acts 2. And once again, we see fire falling. Only this time, something unique is happening. Something different is happening. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. What is God doing now? God is on the move. The fire doesn't fall anymore on a building or a place, but on people. God is announcing that he's building a new temple. I love how Paul says this in the book of Corinthians. Do you not know that your bodies now are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom, have received, whom you have received from God? In other words, we no longer have to go to a place to encounter God. God is coming to us. Us. Little ordinary us. God is building a new temple. And rather than men and women having to come to Jerusalem, God's dwelling with people who trust in Jesus and choose to follow him. God went from outside humanity in a temple to standing next to humanity in Jesus to indwelling humanity in the Spirit. No wonder Jesus said, I need to leave because when the Holy Spirit comes, it'll be better. Because God now comes to dwell with us in you. And God's not done. Not only has God come near to this small group of people in this room, well, what's happening there very quickly spills out into the street. The scene shifts. Because the Spirit wants everyone to hear the wonders of God in their own language. Everyone. Nobody gets left behind. So he empowers ordinary women and men from all walks of life to share what God has done in ways that people from around the world can hear. Because they're in Jerusalem, but where do they go next? To Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and Mesopotamia, and Cyrene, and Egypt, and Asia, and Rome. Do you see what is happening? God has started a fire, and then he's going to send the fire. God is fulfilling God's purposes in God's timing, and in a way that none of the disciples could have probably ever imagined. God is on the move, pouring out, doing more than they could have ever asked or imagined. And I think I want to ask you this morning, what if God is still doing this today? What if we gather here on Sunday mornings not because this is where God's presence lives? Yes, we encounter it differently when we all gather together, but what if the objective wasn't only to get people here so they could encounter God? What if God wants to meet people right where they are? 
in whatever culture they're in, in whatever language they speak. By the way, because did you notice that when God moved, he didn't abolish difference, he honored difference. Did you catch that? See, the miracle of the Spirit could have been that the disciples spoke and everybody understood one language. The Spirit could have brought unity, but instead the Spirit comes and says, oh, no, 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 no. I understand that you're different than you, and you are speaking a different language than you, and oh, by the way, you, you 13-year-old, you speak emoji. I don't know what the language, I don't know how God does that, but I think God does. So God says, I'm coming, and I'm going to honor your differences. I'm going to speak your language, because let's be honest, your neighbor next door looks different than my neighbor next door. And God planted you right where you are with the neighbors who are around you so that you could be the fire of God and speak their language. And God has you golfing. I'm looking at this area right here. (laughs) Maybe God has you golfing with people because you speak their language. You know how to talk golf. And you can talk about what God's doing in your life in a way that they can hear. But they may not be able to walk through these doors. God may need you to talk about what God's doing in your workplace. Next to a person who doesn't ever want to walk through these doors. Or maybe somebody who's in your retirement complex or at your school or in your workplace. All I know is that God pours into you, brings you here to encourage you and empower you, and then sends you out to be God's presence, to be a place where earth and heaven connect in you. Isn't that wild? You carry God's presence. And by the way, we're only getting started. It's going to be like chapters to figure out how this looks, and we're going to talk about what it means to, you know, Talk about what God is doing in ways that aren't weird and don't involve a track. We're going to get there. But today, I just want you to hear your dreams are too small. Our picture of what God has called us to as a church is too small. Our sense of where the presence of God is is too small because if we think it's only here in this room, then we're thinking temple. And God's thinking 